Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Trinity Baptist Church. The Lord is with you. We've been talking about fierce conversations. And today, Palm Sunday is also celebrated in the church as Passion Sunday, a Sunday when we begin to think about that last week of Jesus and his moving toward his passion or his suffering. And fierce conversations were very much a part of that week for him. There was a fierce conversation going on in this country in the early 1860s, a conversation about slavery, a conversation about unity, and it was difficult. In September 1862, Abraham Lincoln had laid in front of him in his study the text of the Emancipation Proclamation. He had not yet signed it. He was struggling with that. He had had it as an ambition in his presidency to find a way to free the slaves. He had proposed paying $400 million to be appropriated to southern slave owners to set their slaves free, but not even one member of his cabinet approved of that proposal. And now he had this proclamation in front of him. He understood that if he signed it, it would likely be initiating a war, a war between brothers, a war between citizens of the same country. And he was in agony at that thought, torn between these things that were important to him. But he couldn't sleep that night, but early the next morning, in the gray of the morning, he got his pen and he signed the proclamation. One scholar called that decision an offering of life, which climbed higher and higher through the years until it rode off in the flaming chariot of martyrdom. It was a fierce conversation and a decision to be made. In John chapter 18 and 19, Jesus is involved in a fierce conversation with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And it's a conversation that focuses on a decision. Pilate must make a decision. That was his job. As the Roman prefect, he was also a judge. And now a prisoner charged with a crime is brought before him in the person of Jesus. And he has to decide. Society demanded a verdict. A decision had to be made. And the Apostle John, writing the Gospel of John, describes that story of this fierce conversation between Pilate and Jesus and Pilate and the crowds of people in Jerusalem. He describes it as a drama in seven scenes. It's kind of an interesting thing to look at. Pilate is really the central character in this story, and he has to render a decision. He is inside his building, his offices at times with Jesus, and then he moves outside to face the crowds, and then back inside and outside. You can see him torn between the two as he moves from one place to the other. When he's inside with Jesus, things are calm, almost contemplative. He and Jesus have conversations about such lofty topics as what is a kingdom and what is truth and what is power. And then when he goes outside and faces the crowd, suddenly it's, it's not contemplative at all. It is raucous. The crowd is shaking their fists. They're demanding Jesus' death. And Pilate goes back inside and back outside. And he moves through seven scenes like that as we make our way through 
the story. He is facing two uncompromising parties. On the one hand, Jesus is not about to compromise his claims, his claim to be king of a different kind of kingdom, his claim to be truth, God's revelation of God's person and God's purposes. And Pilate goes outside, and the crowds out there are not about to relinquish their demands that Jesus be put to death. He cannot effect a compromise between the two. He must render a decision. So join me for a few moments as we just read through that seven-stage drama. Uh, first, it, in chapter 18, verse 28 to 32, he is outside, and the crowds are demanding Jesus' death. The scripture says, they took Jesus from Caiaphas, who is the high priest, to Pilate's headquarters, the Roman governor. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. They replied, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. And then John says, this was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus had prophesied his crucifixion. He would be lifted up on a cross and all would be drawn to him. Scene one is outside, noisy demands from the crowds. And then they move inside in chapter 18, verse 33. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me. Pilate asked him, what is truth? Jesus takes charge. Pilate's the judge, but Jesus is the one directing the interrogation at this point. It is Pilate, ultimately, who is on trial. What Pilate decides in this story is going to decide his own soul's fate. If you'd been reading the Gospel of John from chapter 1 up to this point you, and were listening carefully, you would have heard a lot of language about testimony and witness and trial and judgment, legal language that just all through this. And when we get to this, it's almost a climactic scene in the whole gospel because you and I as readers of this story are in the same position that Pilate is in. We have heard the testimony about Jesus and who he is. We have witnessed his uh, his miraculous signs. We have heard his claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, the light of the world, uh, the bread of life. We have heard his claims. We've seen his deeds. And now we have to make a decision about who is he and what will I do with him? And that's what Pilate is doing in this moment. 
Pilate is facing the light, and he has to decide whether he prefers darkness or light. Earlier in the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, John had said, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Pilate is in just that position. He is facing the light, and he has to decide whether he loves darkness or light. Outside the crowds is the darkness. Inside with Jesus is the light. The third scene, he goes back outside in chapter 18, verse 38. Pilate uh, goes out there and declares that, he, that Jesus is not guilty. After he said this, the scripture says, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. And John adds, now Barabbas was a bandit. Word translated bandit really means a rebel. He was a terrorist. He was one of those who opposed Roman rule, and they demanded his release. It's not a question whether Jesus is innocent or guilty. Pilate knows there's no case against him. Twice in here he pronounces Jesus innocent. The question is whether Pilate will respond to the truth. Will Pilate give himself to what is true? His first attempt to compromise with the world didn't work very well. He thought he could compromise by offering Barabbas, and it was a real irony. He offers someone who truly is what they're accusing Jesus of being, which is a rebel against Rome. And when they refuse to accept the release of Jesus, they demand the, least, the release of one of the rebels, Pilate gives in to them. But it doesn't satisfy. The fourth scene, Pilate is back inside, and he attempts to compromise with them one more time, this time by having Jesus scourged or beaten, thinking that if he punishes them, then the folks outside will be okay with that. Scripture says, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. That's Pilate's second attempt to compromise, and it didn't work any better than the first one. Then he goes back outside and meets with the crowds, and Pilate said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, beaten and bruised and bleeding. And Pilate presents him to the crowd. Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priest and the police saw him, they said, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and crucifying. I find no case against him. That's his third time to pronounce Jesus innocent. The Jews answered, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. So he goes back inside with Jesus. He entered the headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered, 
you would have no power at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus won't compromise with him either. The crowds won't compromise. Jesus won't compromise. And Pilate is torn between the two. The final scene, he goes outside and says, From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Pilate's job, not to mention his life, depends on his being considered a friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself up against the emperor, they said. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was a day of preparation for Passover. It was about noon. It's this dramatic moment. He's sitting on the judgment seat, and a verdict is about to be rendered. This man that he has repeatedly tried to release and proclaimed innocent will not compromise and help Pilate out, and the crowds are demanding his crucifixion. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked him, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to be crucified. It's the climax of the episode. The Passover lambs are about to be slaughtered in the temple. And Pilate hands Jesus over to the crowds to be crucified. He does get one little bit of, I guess, pleasure by extracting from them this blasphemy. We have no king but Caesar when everything in their faith called God their king, but he's extracted that. The attempts at compromise have failed. Pilate's made a decision. It's not so much a decision against Jesus as it is a decision against Pilate himself. He doesn't know how to deal with the truth. How we deal with the truth does not affect the nature of truth. Not believing in the law of gravity does not invalidate it. The truth is the truth. It is how we respond to it that affects us. That dramatic story has some real implications about how you and I live our lives. Because we also live in that same tension as followers of Jesus between the absolute demands of Jesus our King and the absolute demands of a world that we live in that often opposes Him. And the world will try to get us to compromise, but there is no compromise between Jesus' claims and the claims of the world. When absolute demands clash, and there's an absolute demand, Jesus said, I am the truth, I bear witness to the truth, I am a king of a kingdom that is not like the kingdom of this world, and he will not relinquish those claims, and the world says we want nothing to do with such a kingdom, we've got our own ideas about truth, and absolute demands clash. And when that happens, compromise is impossible. Pilate faced that absolute demand and could not work his way out of it. Jesus claimed to be king of another kind of a kingdom, and he will not share that rule with anyone. Jesus had said himself on so many occasions, you can't have both ways. No one can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other or despise one and cling to the other. You can't serve God and the world, he had said. He had said it on other occasions, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Anyone who loves father, mother, brother, sister, uh, wife, or children more than me is not worthy of me, he said. He, 
All the demands of the world have to be relinquished in order to follow Jesus as Lord. And Pilate could not get the uncompromising kingdom of God and the uncompromising demands of the world to come to terms with each other. It's a very different view of power and kingship that Jesus offered. My kingdom's not of this world, he said. If it were, my followers would have fought. But as it is, my kingdom's not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a different kind of power. You think you have power, he says to Pilate, but it's given to you by God. You would have no power at all unless it were given to you. Do you not understand what the truth is, where God is in this world? Do you understand that your political power, your military power is going to disappear, that it's temporary, that it's not secure? And Jesus said to Pilate, I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate, just dismissively, what is truth? That's the world's view of truth, isn't it? Truth is whatever's convenient. Truth is whatever helps me get what I want. Truth is the way I see the world. There is nothing out there that corresponds to truth the way Jesus spoke about it. But Jesus said, I've come to bear witness of the truth. On an earlier occasion, he had told his disciples, I am the truth. You're looking at it. And Jesus as the truth means he is the revelation of the way the world really is. The way the world really is with God as king and an eternal life that's available to those who come to know that God. But the world sees it very, very differently. The world's view of truth is entirely subjective and relative. No absolute claims are possible. It's broad and subjective. I don't have to measure my view of truth against any standard. Whatever I believe is true is true, and that settles it. The standards are within me. And morally and theologically and politically and philosophically, we have our own versions of truth. But listen to me. It is not possible to be a follower of Jesus and compromise with the truth. It is not possible for a follower of Jesus to compromise with the truth, to hold the world's view of political power and Jesus' view of the kingdom at the same time. It is not a possibility. We have to let go of one in order to hold the other. And I have seen especially maybe the last 10 years, maybe a little longer than that, in our culture, the way that the world's political machinery has tried to capture the church and say, hold on to our view of what the truth is. And in doing so, we've had to let go. You can't live with kindness and contempt at the same time. You can't live with loyalty to Christ and loyalty to some kind of earthly political power at the same time. It is not a possibility. And the attempt to compromise is always frustrated. There's a Russian parable about compromise. According to the parable, there's this hunter who's pulled his gun on this big bear, and he's about to shoot him, and the bear speaks to him in this quiet, soft voice and says, oh, wait, 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 wait. Calm down for just a minute before you pull the trigger. Let's talk. Let's compromise. Let's sit down. Let's talk. And so they sit down, and the bear says to the hunter, what is it you want? The hunter says, I want a fur coat. What do you want? The bear says, I just want a full stomach. And so they talked for a little bit, and then after a while, they reached a compromise. The bear walked off alone. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had a fur coat. <laughs> that's, that's what it's like to try to compromise with the world. Our loyalty to Christ has to supersede everything else or we will be consumed. We can't be that kind of Christian. It, we are called to follow Christ 
wholeheartedly. And this decision Pilate is trying to reach takes place on the very edge of eternity. It's a decision about Jesus Christ, and both sides are refusing to compromise, and Pilate wishes like us to accept Jesus' claims without losing his own earthly security and authority, and it's not a possibility. There's no middle ground for him. So many of our decisions are like that as Christians. It's not just the decision to accept Christ into our life, which requires a a wholehearted commitment to him. But as disciples of Jesus all along the way, we are appealed to by those voices that would have us to compromise our faith in Christ, our obedience to Christ, Christ's call to a way of life that is different than this world. And it's impossible to compromise. No man can serve two masters. When ultimate (laughs) demands... Clash, compromise is not possible. When urgent demands clash, a decision is absolutely inevitable. The timing is such with Pilate that something has to happen. He's going to have to make a decision. These are urgent claims on both parts. He can't both release Jesus and crucify Jesus. He's going to have to figure out a way to decide. And so he sits down on the judgment seat and he takes a deep breath. There was a professor at the University of Michigan named N.R.F. Meyer who he wrote a book on animal psychology. But he had done some experiments with rats. He would uh, have them run up to this edge, and if they leapt off to one side, there was a door and it was locked, and when they leapt off there, they would bump their nose into it and fall into a net and be kind of recycled back up to the platform. If they went off to the left, they would jump off and the door would open and there would be a bowl of food for them. And so after time, he trait rats are not completely dumb. They, they learned if I jump to the left, I get food. If I jump to the right, I bump my nose. And he gets them all trained in that way. And then he switched it. And they started jumping to the left and bumping their nose. And they got so confused, they became somewhat neurotic. And finally he said... They finally refused to jump at all. He said the rats would prefer to starve than make a decision. And I I think sometimes our efforts to stave off a decision are are quite a bit like that. We we just don't want to have to decide. We keep pushing it away and pushing it away, and we starve to death attempting to avoid a decision we're ultimately going to have to make. In regard to deciding about the truth of Christ... And salvation, the decision really is urgent. Life is uncertain. Life is short at best. And putting off the decision to know him and to follow him is a way of starving to death in this world. But on a regular basis, we just have to keep choosing to follow, to follow, to obey. It's what we're called to do. And putting off that decision isn't going to work. When urgent demands clash, decision is inevitable. And John's story says that when eternal demands clash, the consequences are unavoidable. That is, whatever we decide will have consequences. It will shape us. It will determine many things about our life. Pilate's, by not protecting Jesus' interest here, he's forced to act against his own interest. He releases a revolutionary which isn't going to help his work any in the future. By not accepting the challenge to listen to the truth, Pilate has to, is forced to listen to the voice of the world, isn't he? By failing to decide, he's reduced from a position of power where he could have determined Jesus' fate to being a beggar pleading for a different fate for Jesus. He's lost his power. By refusing 
to bow to Jesus, he becomes subject to a tyrant. By refusing the one source of light who is in front of him, he surrenders himself to darkness. By ignoring the source of eternal life, he chooses eternal death. The, the decisions have consequences. They always do. Every decision we make, if it's a decision made out of obedience and love for Christ, it shapes us and determines us and takes us on to the next thing. And if it's a decision of selfishness and power and destructiveness, it has consequences as well. And our moral decisions are not just decisions with consequences for the moment. They have decision consequences for eternity. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, he said, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, that part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, you are slowly turning this central thing, either into a heaven, heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Our dis decisions, our choices for or against Jesus, for or against the kingdom, for or against obedience to God and to God's ways, change us over time. The eternal decisions have eternal consequences. In the Gospel of Matthew, um, the story of Jesus before Pilate is told very differently, but you still see Pilate's frustration at not being able to let Jesus go. And so, remember, he, he brings out a basin of water and publicly washes his hands as if he could say, I, I have no part in this. I'm literally washing my hands of this incident. He's sort of like Lady Macbeth trying to wash the blood from her hands, and it's not strong enough uh, to wash it away. Frederick Beekner is a Christian writer who has an interesting little book called Peculiar Treasures where he retells some biblical stories. And here's what he said about Pilate. He said, Pilate's case is different and worse than Lady Macbeth's. For him, it was not so much the terrible thing he had done as the wonderful thing he had proved incapable of doing. He could have stuck to his guns, and resisted the pressure and told the chief priest to go to hell where they were obviously heading anyway. He could have spared the man's life, or if that's asking too much, he could have spared him at least the scourging and the catcalls and the appalling way he died. Or if that's still asking too much, he could have spoken some word of comfort when there was nobody else in the world with either the chance or the courage to speak it. He could have shaken Jesus' hand. He could have said goodbye. He could have made some two-bit gesture, even though it would have made no ultimate difference. To him, it would have made all the difference. Our decisions affect us. The way we decide how we choose to treat others, how we choose to obey or disobey, shape us little by little into the kind of person we ultimately become. A confrontation with the truth requires a verdict. And here is Jesus' uncompromising claim to be the truth, to be the authoritative, authoritative witness to the truth, to be God's revelation to the world, to be the Son of God, to be equal with God, to be the King of God's kingdom. What do we do with that? That's Jesus' claim. It's right out there. 
It's all through his stories in the Gospel of John and Matthew and Mark and Luke. He makes these astounding claims of who he is. What do we do with that? Well, we either decide for it or against it is what we do. It's not possible not to decide. Not to decide is to make a decision. It is to put off the decision that says, Jesus Christ is king and I will fall at his feet and confess him as Lord and live following his life. Compromise with those claims is impossible. Decision is inevitable. And the consequences of the decision is eternal. Let's pray together. It's so easy, um, week in and week out, to be in church, to speak the name of Jesus and to sing, and not to let the astounding depths of who he actually is grip us so much that we live differently and we think differently and we treat others really differently because he is the son of God. He is the king. He is the truth. He is worthy of all of our lives. So this morning, you and I both, we, we sit like Pilate with this claim in front of us and we have to decide and I pray we'll decide for the truth. Lord, help us to decide for Jesus again and again and again in our lives. Help us to hear and never become border complacent with his uncompromising claim to be Lord, that we might please you with our decisions time and time again. We ask in his name, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.